it is amazing how the Spirit works because, you know, I, I started this series on the book of Colossians and, you know, I, I have a few different sermons that I'm looking ahead at. But, you know, I don't have like the whole rest of the calendar picked out or, or these topics or anything. Um, but it just so happens today that, that the, the topic at hand, I think, is very providential. Just based on some of the conversations that I've had with some of you this week and some of the conversations I've had today and, and with what Esther shared, um, you know, there, there just seems to be a lot of heaviness right now. And whether it's in your own personal life or, or whether you're, you're, you're turning on the world news, there's just, there's, there's a lot, a lot happening, a lot of suffering. And so today we're going to continue our sermon series on the book of Colossians. And last week we looked at the call of Christ. And today we look at the sufferings of Christ. And so I, I want to start with looking at the last verse from Colossians 1, verse 29. It says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know, moving into chapter 2, how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. If you recall from last week, those of you that were here or, or, or watching online, you remember that Paul said that he was not struggling for himself, but for others. And the reason for this struggle was not because of some fault, but because of a purpose. And that purpose was so that through the suffering, he might be able to, in his own words, present believers as mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. In Acts 9, when Paul was first brought to faith in Christ, he was known as Saul. And he was throwing Christians into prison and even having some of them killed. But then on, on that road to Damascus, God got his attention and, and knocked him off his proverbial high horse. And then this is what God said to Ananias concerning Paul, who he was about to meet. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And you know, in a sense, this is a message to every single Christian believer in the world. Following Christ does not mean that life will just automatically become easier. In fact, Jesus stated quite the opposite in John 17. While praying to the Father, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, wouldn't it be a wonderful thought if at the moment that we accepted Christ, the moment we came out of the waters of baptism, we were just translated to heaven, no more problems, no more struggles, 
it's a nice thought. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that we still have work to do here. Here. As we were reminded last week, because Christ is in us, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We are his ambassadors, which means that we represent a foreign kingdom, a different kingdom. We are light in the darkness, and the darkness hates the light. And this is why, in a very real sense, when you accepted adoption into God's family, you also entered into this great controversy between good and evil. Jesus also said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And then we read in 1 John do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. And while this speaks to all of us as Christians, I do believe that there is a great possibility for a person like Paul, a person serving in full-time gospel ministry, to suffer in a different way because they are, quote-unquote, serving on the front lines and I don't say that because I'm trying to draw some thick line of distinction between what some call the pastor and, and the laity, because I personally despise that sort of terminology, since we are all the body of Christ. We are told that we are all priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yet there are some who have been specifically set aside to be in the public arena, to publicly lead, to publicly herald. Pastors, evangelists, and church officials and administrators are generally going to catch more flack than someone who is a believer but yet isn't the face of a local church or a church organization. James put it this way, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, if we go back to Acts chapter 9 and see what God said to Ananias concerning Paul, that he was a chosen vessel to bear God's name. Now, that's something that applies to all of us. That's something that applies to every believer. And because of that, we can expect that difficult times, difficult scenarios, tough circumstances will come our way. But this is a good reminder, too, that difficulties, struggles, and frustrations are not really a sign that, like, you've blown it. They are not necessarily consequences for bad choices, but instead, God may be parting 
that hedge of protection and allowing some of these things through. And I, and I know that that might not be the easiest message to hear or to receive, but look at Job. Look at Job. Did he suffer because he was so bad? Scripture tells us that he was perfect in the sight of God. But throughout the New Testament, there are times where we are told that we are going to suffer for our own sake, to advance the kingdom in us, or for others' sake, to advance the kingdom in them. And I know, I know, that that's, that's tough to deal with. And definitely flies in the face of, of some of the messages that you hear amongst Christian circles concerning uh, prosperity gospel and all of that. But Hebrews 5.8 says this, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, maybe this isn't a text that you've heard taught very often in church. But I also want to point out that, that the, the translation, that word obedience, is a pretty sad translation here because it's the Greek word hupakae, hupakae. And it means to listen under, to listen under. So you could read this and say, Jesus learned to listen under his father's voice through the things that he suffered. C.S. Lewis famously referred to pain as God's megaphone. He wrote this, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What he's saying is that when things come against us and times get tough in this fallen world, which will happen, that it heightens our awareness and our sensitivities of our need of God in a way that while everything is going well, we might be tempted to forget. This is the same reason why James wrote, count it all joy when you face numerous trials and tribulations. Because there are things like that that, that produce faith, that produce endurance and dependence on God. Paul asked numerous times for God to take away what he called his thorn in the flesh. But God never did. God never took that away. Because it was the very thing that kept Paul humble and brought out his weakness. But in those moments, he actually became his strongest because he wasn't depending upon his own strength but upon God's strength instead. In the same way that a big pine tree grows stronger as it has to withstand heavy winds, sometimes we need the winds of adversity. Adversity can stretch us. It can test us. 
It can help us to find and to cling to Christ in new ways that never would have come about if life was just smooth and easy. Paul, who as we saw last week, was well acquainted with struggles and trials. But he he also wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Christ's life is made manifest through us, yes, especially through difficult times. Yet others will be able to look at us and rejoice. It's almost as if Paul is is painting this picture of people looking at Christians and saying, how do those people keep standing? How do those people keep moving forward? Because if I was facing those things, it would drive me to the bottom of a bottle. It would drive me to to hide myself away from everybody in my secret hiding place. But then it's in those moments that we have the blessed opportunity to give credit where credit is due. And we can say, what you are seeing is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a mighty overcoming spirit at work within us, experienced by us, and manifested through us. We are told that when it comes to the enemy who wants to devour us, that we overcome him by the blood of Jesus and by our testimony, our life experience, our story, and knowing that we don't go through these things alone, but that we go through them with God. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, there's a fourth man in the furnace, and he looks like the Son of God. Talk about being a witness for the power and love and patience of God. Now, getting back to Colossians, Paul wrote, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I I can't get over the pastoral heart of Paul here. He's in prison. He's in prison, yet he's constantly reflecting Christ's compassion and tenderness toward his fellow believers. Paul admits it right here. He hasn't even met many of these people yet. He hasn't seen them face to face, yet he's willing to dive into the depths of their lives and their issues. Do you realize how radical that is? Paul is in prison. Yet he says his greatest struggle, his greatest agony is for others. It's for others. 
Most people who are in prison would be very quick to bemoan their own personal struggles, especially if they were innocent like Paul was in prison. But the pity party doesn't arrive with Paul because Christ is living in and through him. And Paul didn't just have compassion for these young believers. He also had empathy. He didn't just encourage them, but he felt their pains and their worries and their concerns. And then he wrote them these loving letters from a prison cell. It's truly amazing. And as you read through the New Testament and you look at all of these different letters, there are so many Letters and prayers from Paul to these other Christian churches where he yearns for them to see and to comprehend the love of God, that their eyes of understanding would be opened, that they would be able to recognize what God was doing in the midst of their struggles. He goes beyond praying just for the symptoms but he prays for the solution that they would catch hold of God's perspective in connection with what they were facing. No matter what horrible circumstances we may be facing, as Christians, we can take heart that it isn't the end of the story. It isn't the end of the story. God is still on the throne God is still working on our behalf. If you recall last week, we read Paul's description of all of his physical sufferings, right? There there were beatings and and hunger and stonings and shipwrecks, et cetera, et cetera. And those were pretty egregious sufferings. But sometimes I wonder if the heavier burdens don't come from other kinds of sufferings. The things that generally tend to haunt us and keep us up day and night are the emotional and relational sufferings that we face. They can really wear us down. And maybe we can be led to wonder, where is our Heavenly Father in all of this? And to that I respond that he is in the same place he was when his own son was facing those same struggles. He is offering himself to us. He is with us. He is offering us life and comfort and strength and peace, all the things that we need. He is not indifferent to our suffering. He is not indifferent to our suffering. And as we consider the relational suffering We we looked at all the physical sufferings that Paul lists in 2 Corinthians 11, but then after he lists all of those horrible things, he adds this, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So he lists all of these physical abuses and difficulties that he faced, but then it's like, yeah, but then on top of that is the hardest thing. And he isn't speaking about the finances of the church or some specific building. No, he's talking about the care of people. 
Because people make up the church. The church is people. And Paul had many people betray him, just like Jesus had his Judas. In 2 Timothy, Paul said, Demas left me and all others have forsaken me. I'm alone. And then there was this issue with John Mark and Barnabas. And John Mark was eventually restored. But as far as we know, that relationship with Barnabas was never restored back. And throughout Paul's ministry, you can, you can just see and, 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 and feel his pain as a shepherd. There are pains of being a shepherd that you may never know. And this is why I constantly remind you to pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about all your pastors. For those of you who are parents, you, you understand how much you want for your children. And pastors have many, many spiritual children. In 3 John, there's that verse that says, my greatest joy is that my children walk in truth. But we also know that the flip side of that is real too. My greatest sorrow is when they don't walk in truth. And so for Paul, having all of those spiritual children, it broke his heart to see any of them go astray. As a shepherd, he could put them in this beautiful, luscious, green pasture of truth. Yet there were always sheep trying to to squeeze through some hole in the fence and go listen to somebody teach a lie. I can honestly say with with all truth and sincerity, that my biggest struggle in ministry is that I often find that I want more for people than they want for themselves. And it breaks my heart. I want them to intimately and deeply know Jesus on a personal level, yet so many people are out there seeking life in other places. And when you know who God wants them to be and the abundant life that comes by faith in Jesus, then it just breaks your heart to see them turning away from that. And it's the exact thing that's captured in Luke's gospel when he wrote this about Jesus. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And that word in the Greek, it means convulsive weeping. It's not like he just just shed a tear. Uncontrollable weeping. Jesus goes on to say, oh, how I would have you come under my wing and experience peace, experience life, but you would not. And it broke his heart. And so that was probably Paul's greatest suffering. And I believe that it was Jesus's greatest suffering in his ministry This thought on on emotional and relational suffering shows more as, as Paul expands his prayer in Colossians 2. He continues and says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul's prayer is not all of that. It's not that all of their problems would just be instantly solved. 
That's not his prayer. But instead, that they would be encouraged. That they would be knit together in love. That they would accept the assurance of salvation they have in Jesus. That they would know that his spirit is mighty at work within them. Yes, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. That was his prayer. No matter what they were facing. And no matter what we are facing. The truth is that we were never meant to face any of it alone. We were never meant to face any of it alone. We are called the body of Christ for a reason. And every part has a role. We are one. And according to Ephesians 4, we are to work to maintain and to guard unity in Christ because it's not good for us to be alone. So when we are facing physical, emotional, and relational pain, we need each other. We are called to bear one another's burdens because I think we can all admit that when we don't have each other, we can quickly run down some pretty thorny and destructive paths, places where we don't want to end up and places where God does not want us to end up. Amos 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And this is why Paul's heart and mine as a minister of the gospel is to put everybody into the life of Christ. I want you to be rooted in Christ and thus rooted in love. I want us all to be connected to the same source. And to know that we are all on the same level playing field in that true knowledge of Christ. That every one of us is forgiven. Every one of us is accepted. Every one of us is loved. And every one of us is under grace, not law. And if we're all on the same level playing field, then we can all connect. We can all hold hands on this journey, on this walk with God. But the moment, the moment that somebody comes in and says that Jesus is not enough, that it's got to be Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus circumcision, at that moment, we've made things complicated. And we've instilled something that can be done in order to make me feel better or look better in comparison to others. And that creates judgmentalism and criticism and competition. And then the level playing field is removed. So I, I love how Paul, he reveals in his prayer that the only way, the only way, the one way that we will be knit together in love is that when we have the full assurance and knowledge concerning Jesus. And regardless of whether it's always been taught or presented this way, I also believe that that is the main focus and mission and goal of Adventism too. Ellen White, one of the founders of the Adventist church, wrote this over 100 years ago. 
Christ crucified for our sins. Christ risen from the dead. Christ ascended on high as our intercessor. This is the science of salvation that we need to learn and to teach. This is to be the burden of our work. And I personally hold this burden, and I hope that you do too. I like how she uses the term science in this statement because we know that science helps us to find answers. Science helps us to unravel mysteries and to find sure footing in areas where we once did not have it. And our last verse from Paul today presents a similar idea. Colossians 2, verse 3, he says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's so easy for us to wonder why. To wonder, why am I suffering? Why am I facing this thing? Why is this happening to me? But there is only one true source of answers to those questions, and they are the wisdom and the knowledge that come only from an intimate relationship with Jesus. And even if he doesn't tell us why in that very moment that we ask, he gives us himself and he gives us his peace and he gives us his rest so that we can choose to trust him even when we don't have all the answers. And as individuals, we can experience this, yes. But when we are able to experience this within community, then it moves on an even more powerful dynamic. The revelation of God is most experienced and seen by others in the cultivation of a brotherly love within the community of Christ. It's more caught than taught. When I see Christ in you, and you see Christ in me, and we express the forgiveness, the love, the patience, the grace, the mercy, and the truth to each other, it's like it it, it clicks. And we say, wow, I, I get it now. I get it. And it doesn't come through as clearly in the English translations. But in Colossians 1.27, when Paul says that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's saying you in the plural. What he's saying is it's Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. Christ suffered and we suffer, but suffering has its purpose. And our God won't let any scheme of the enemy go to waste because our Father desires to use it for good. Amen and amen. As we close, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's sermon. And so pull out your phones and take a picture of this week's secret place practice. God does not bring about our sufferings, but he does use them. So take some time this week to write down some of your current worries, struggles, fears, and pains and give them over to God. 
But instead of asking why he allows them, ask him how he intends to use them for good. Go through this week with that perspective. Go through this week with that mindset. The accompanying scripture text is Romans 5, 3 through 4. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Before we have our closing prayer, I'm going to invite Sarah to come forward as our platform elder for today. She's going to stand at the foot of these steps, and after the benediction, I will step down to the floor over here. And if there's anybody here who has any specific needs, any specific requests, maybe, maybe a, a certain burden on your heart, maybe there is a tremendous praise that you just want to share then we want to give you the opportunity to come forward to talk to either myself or to Sarah. We'd love to listen and then to lift that petition, lift that praise up to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we have salvation. It's because of Jesus that we have hope. And it's because of Jesus that we can have strength to keep going in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. Lord, may you continue to teach us and to mold us and to get us to the place where our first knee-jerk reaction when any problems come our way, when any hurts come our way, isn't to try to take them head on in our own strength, but instead to pause, to turn to you, and to rely upon your strength. Lord, that's the experience that we all desire, and that's the experience that you have given to us through your Spirit. Lord, we claim it. Our hearts are open to you. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you are at work behind the scenes, and you are not indifferent to our pain and our struggles. And so, Lord, we give all those to you right now. Accepting your healing accepting your miracles, accepting your guidance. And Lord, we know that the world is watching. And we pray that as we are going through struggles and as we deal with them in your power and in your grace, that others would see that and come to know you through it. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.